Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And you've tuned in once again to the Church Planner Podcast. Yeah. Going on seven years. Wow. Seven I thought we years. were at seven years. Yeah, we're like seven and a half now. What are we? we are. Yeah, we're going on eight. We, we got the seven-year itch. I mean, shoot. I think the longest break we took was you, you were like, I got to do my book. And we took like yeah. six weeks off. Yeah, before April. My last six weeks, it was like February to April. Um, just because, you know, yeah, man, that deadline was a killer. Yeah, dude. So I got to tell you something, Jamie, uh, Jamie bought some pajamas that were like really soft. And she's like, Oh, I love these pajamas they are really soft. So when she gets the kids ready for bed, she gets ready for bed. And then we usually watch TV for, you know, an hour or so before we go to bed. And I was like, man. I want to wear something comfy when we're watching TV because I'm just wearing the same crap I've been wearing all day. I'm like, huh, sweatshorts, sweatshorts. Yeah. I knew you'd like that. So I picked me up a pair of sweatshorts and I'm like, these are amazing. Right. (laughs) Right. I'm telling you, that is the sign of a man that's just let go. He just doesn't care anymore. When you, I remember putting sweatshorts on, just so you guys know, like you cannot be cool and wear sweatshorts. The story that 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 I told on the podcast once was I was in the store and they had like two for one on sweatshorts and they were Nike. And I said to the dude, "Hey, what's up? Like these are sixty bucks." And he goes, "Yeah, but they're Nike." And I go, "Yeah, 
but they're sweatshorts. <laughs> it's like, come on, dude. Like, you cannot dress up a pair of sweatshorts. That's like, that's like, you know, Homer Simpson's muumuu or like the checkered golf pants that that weirdos wear when they're on the golf course, right? Because you're a weirdo. I don't care if like that's just that's just like a herd mentality. Oh, all the other guys wear checkered pants on the and white belts on the golf course. You're a weirdo. I don't care. You're a weirdo. The fact that you even, you're such a peer pressured weirdo to go wear that stuff on the golf course. I have no respect for you whatsoever. Come on. Hate mail, Pete. And churchplanterpodcast.com. Go straight to the trash. I think, I think actually, because we had someone who like <laughs> went to our website. They're like, I tried to email both of you and I just got return messages. <laughs> like those email addresses don't work. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but we probably turned them off by this point. Who knows? There's a reason I'm no longer in pastoral ministry, folks. That's because, dude, you're going care. back. You're going. I back. will. I will. <clears throat> you know, it's funny. I've been out for a time. I am going to be starting a network, um, local network of church plants. That is definitely happening. But COVID shut everything down, and I can. It, it's weird, man, because I can remember. Um, trying to really force the next church plant. I'm, I'm sure some of you guys listening here, you've been there, done that. Maybe you're there right now. I started meeting with people to pray. I was getting it all going. And then um, Zondervan came knocking and said, hey, we need you to write a textbook. And I'm like, cool, um, I'll write it. And I looked at everybody at that meeting and said, hey, we need to pray about that. And I'm pretty much not going to be able to meet with you now for the next year. And so we put, we put the koibosh on that, but I remember trying to force the vision so hard before that until that happened. And then I was like, well, that's why, that's why the vision was, I was going to plant by default because it was like, well, I'm Peyton, right? I, I'm, I'm apostolically gifted. That's what I need to do. And by the way, our topic today is going to be, if you're new here, you know that we do something called smack talk for a little bit. Um, we screw around for a little that's bit, how we like it. For a little bit. And that's an elastic term. Yeah, it's an elastic term. A little bit could mean like 10 minutes, could mean 20. Uh, Here's here's a way to immediately get into the topic. If I start talking about death, right? Like Pete's like, well, we should get in the topic now. That's that's always the way, right? Like if I talk about somebody dying or death or or like kids getting sick, we're done. Pete's like smack. That's a a smack talk killer right there. That's what I've learned in seven years of doing the podcast with Pete. But we don't have anything depressing to talk about today. So this could be a long stretch of smack talk. Yeah, but it's a cat. (laughs) (laughs) Go Um, back and listen to last week's if you want to understand that one. Although I did start sending you a new kind of meme this week. Uh, We're not going there. I thought we said that before we started. (laughs) Let's just say it was Jesus on a T-Rex. It was Jesus on a T-Rex, and there's a bunch of those out there, and I found a good one. Which is funny to me because I still remember the time you shared on the podcast where like, you were shopping with your family, and you're at some store, and you see Jesus on a T-Rex, and you're like, that's my two favorite things, dinosaurs and Jesus. And Andrea's like, uh, isn't that kind of sacrilegious or something? You go, look, wait till we're in heaven and we see Jesus come riding up on a T-Rex. I'm just going to look at you and wink. That's right. He's going to be like, hey, guys, welcome. And I'll just look at her like, see, you know, because on the new heavens and new earth, all that's going to be there. We're going to, I mean, she could ride a brontosaurus. That's a, that's a vegetarian. He's not a meat eater. You know, she, she could dig that. 
I, I, I could actually see Jesus writing up to you specifically on a T-Rex because of all of this. <laughs> like I could see Jesus being, Hey, I gave you that sense of humor and right. here right. I am. I could totally like, see that happening. We were talking about this before it was Spurgeon in lectures, lectures to my students. He has a, a line in there where he says, if God made you funny, then be funny. You know, like that, that's, if that's who God made you, but yeah, I would love that. I'd love to see that sense of humor. Like Jesus pulls off on a T-Rex and goes, huh? Funny, right? (laughs) Totally, (laughs) totally see that. So good. So good. Oh man. What else has been going on with you, man? Well, I have insulation. Do you see that? Yeah, I can see the insulation behind you. I was like, man, I hope he's not dying from breathing all that. Well, every everybody's concerned that I'm in here because there is there's particles floating around right now. But look, that's soundproofing for the train. Oh, nice. The gray one. Yeah, I'm showing Pete on my screen because this is not being broadcast video over Facebook. But yeah, <coughs> don't know. <laughs> don't you go dying on me. Oh, don't know why I'm coughing. I've not been well recently. I keep getting sick. So, you know, if one day... I'm sure the fiberglass behind you has nothing to do with that. Nothing at all. No, I was sick over the weekend. I had a cold, but um, over the last couple of days... It was probably COVID. That's what everybody says. I'm like, nah, it's cold symptoms. It wasn't flu. You're like, uh, there is no cold anymore. Everyone gets COVID. So, what I don't think I have announced that has been going on is I've started working with Through the Word more than I was before. I was part-time. For those of you that know, um, I did Leviticus with them. That was my first, actually, uh, Ephesians was my first soiree. But when when I asked them, who's doing Leviticus? And they all kind of looked at me like, uh, nobody. And I was like, dude, I'll totally do Leviticus. I think from that day on, I doomed myself to be the like, the books, books that no of the Bible, to... <laughs> nobody wants to comment on God. Who's doing the Song of Solomon? And her hair was like a I would, goat. I would love to do that book. Are you kidding? So anything Ecclesiastes, to me, because I think we've translated that thing so wrong. Um, we so have misunderstood and mispreached that book. Um, but also Song of Solomon, which I think is one of the- Song of Solomon books. is the book that every evangelical church skips. Well, there's some. I've okay. never seen an evangelical church ever go through Song of Solomon. Dave ever. Miller Band, guys, if you got your kids listening, uh, you might just want to shoo them out, you know. Um, it, it, but the Bible has a PG rating on it. It needs parental guidance. The the Hebrews would. Not I think the allow. Bible's got a rated R rating on it. Are you kidding me? It does. It does absolutely. It's not like, PG. P- incest. Um, children being taken advantage of, rape. I mean, all that stuff is there in the first six or seven chapters of the, no, first 10 chapters of the Bible. All that's all the stuff that you're like, oh, how am I going to talk to my kids about it? If you start going through Genesis, it's all in there in the first 10 chapters, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, anyways, but what, what I was going to say was um, uh, Song of Solomon, like like the, okay, I told you to shoot your kids out. Like the the, you know, Steve Miller, like really like your, you know, you, you've got the prettiest, is it face I've ever seen, you know, really like your peaches, want to shake your trees. Like when I first heard that, because I had been reading the Bible, I had been saved and I heard that in college in a, 
in a pub I worked in. And I remember just going, man, that is almost straight on a Song of Solomon, right? Like he talks about climbing her branches and picking her pomegranates. And I mean, you know, those are things that are sexual for a reason. And so uh, anyways, I know you're getting uncomfortable. No, like, Okay, just- smack talk over. No, but yeah. but it is it is a highly sexualized book, and for me, but they never talk about it. <clears throat> we never talk never about talk it. About and this, we're still so puritanical about sex, and in the age of porn, I think that we have to talk about sex because the Bible talks about. It. We were never meant to be puritanical. If all your kids are learning about sex is coming from pornography, you're actually. You, you've closed a door to them. They should be biblically walking through with you. Um, and so, for example, in the Hebrews, what I was starting to say is they would read that with the rabbi. So they could ask the rabbi all the questions about sex that they needed to ask. And the rabbi could encapsulate sex education was done by the rabbi. And so he would use Song of Solomon to teach, you know, the, the young people about sex. That was their sex ed. And, and so, and I, you know, I don't know to what degree <laughs> sex had happened. I don't know how, but it was all put in the language of this is a gift from God. This is something that, that you're meant to enjoy. This is something between them. There's romance. There's that whole do not arouse or awaken love before it desires. It's You know, you know what's steps. interesting, kind of a, a side note, but you made me think of it with what you're saying with the whole learning about sex as a kid and all that. Um, there's a book that I've been uh, reading. And when I say reading, those who listen to the podcast know that means audible. <laughs> um, it was a book that Dan Sams recommended to me, and I believe it's called On Killing. And so this guy's done a lot of research on war and actually killing people and the psychological impact of it all. And in the very first couple of chapters, he makes a really interesting point about how things used to be before we had basically buildings and rooms and where everything was separated out. Like when you were in a big teepee, he goes, you know, you got kids in there and all of a sudden, you know, at night they hear mom and dad and you know, what's going on over there. And, and, and he, and his point too was like child molestation in that kind of environment couldn't happen without the other adults being okay with it. Like right. knowing what was going on because right. there wasn't separate rooms that everyone was going in. It wasn't so hidden. And I just found that really interesting because I never thought about that. Right. You know, living in a teepee, like I watch uh, a show called, I think it's called life below zero. It's about Alaska. And one of the families, they're uh, Eskimos, or at least um, the wife is, and the kids obviously are the husband, I believe is from Montana. And, but they live like an Eskimo life and they live in a teepee and I'm betting that's kind of the same environment there because they don't have separate rooms. I mean, that's what they do. You know, that's how they live. I just found it really interesting. Made me think. That is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I know we're, we're going off topic here, but like on all those shows, by the way, whenever we watch like naked and afraid or whatever, um, Andrew's like, we should do that. And I, I say to her, She's like, oh, and right now they're, they've come out with a couple's one. And I always tell her, day one, I'm tapping. I'm out. <laughs> day two, I will kill you. If I have not showered, if I have not eaten, if I have not had coffee, I'm going to kill you. I am going to set the record on that show for being the biggest jerk hole ever 
on Naked and Afraid. If I so like the the heat, you and I are you know you're far far beyond me on the heat. But for me, I have a very low tolerance to heat, and I'm like, I just tell Andrew day one. I wouldn't even make it to nighttime. Bugs bite me. I'm tapping. Yeah, I'm out. The bugs. The bugs. Why am I doing this? They, you know, they're all like day 20. They're starving. Why did I do this? I miss my kids. They're all like mentally breaking down. I'm like, just day one. I would be like, why am I doing this? I think I, I would be mentally, I would be okay with missing the family. <laughs> be like, yeah, I, I can keep going. That's no problem. <laughs> I don't, I don't get, we'll see. I like being alone. So I get that. But you know, it's funny when Andrew goes away, I get depressed and I used to never be that way. But I, I start like, she'll, she'll be like, Oh, I'm going to go see my mom. I'll think that night I can do this, that, that I could get this done. I could do this work. I could play this game. I could, I, I plan out in my mind, like the, the Dr. Imaginarium's, you know, uh, cornucopia of palindrome, you know, it's like this amazing event that's going to be. When the night comes, I'm like, oh, I'm all down. I just turn on the TV. I watch shows I would have watched if Andrew was there. It's stupid. Then I go to bed. And I go to bed early because I'm low. Yeah, I uh, I don't get depressed when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't call me? <laughs> I don't. I don't get depressed when uh, Andrea leaves you for the night. So, oh, oh, I oh, mean, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, back to through the words. So, um, I, I I've done Deuteronomy. That just came in. Um, people people were starting to listen to Deuteronomy because you know if you if you can't Man, get what through was that verse that I like called you one night and I'm like Deuteronomy twenty one eleven or something. I was just like, you gotta read it. <laughs> Oh man, I don't remember, but it was funny. Well, Deuteronomy is is Moses's sermon, right? It's his kind of like, all right, everybody, rally up! I'm about to die, and that's going to happen at the end of the book. And he gives them three sermons. It's three sermons, kind of summarizing everything over the last forty years, including the law, what God did. Um, right before he dies, he's like, "One more thing." It's a Steve Jobs, "One more thing." And by the way, through the word is so entertaining. And yet expositional, it's written in 10 minute maximum. We actually aim for nine minutes per chapter of the Bible. So if you like Bible Project, you really like this because it's a um, nine minute chapter summary that's aimed at youth, but by a bunch of guys that are by nature expositors. And it's just, it is like, I'm taking my kids through the Matthew one right now. And it's so good. It's Chris Langham. And Jonathan Ferguson, who is a missionary in, in Kenya for years. And in fact, we were all missionaries. That's kind of the rad thing is all of us look at the Bible through missionary eyes. Um, but I'm telling you, man, it is so fun. But over the years, I just am finishing up this week, Second Chronicles. Now, if you thought Leviticus was hard to get through, right? First and Second Chronicles. So they give me First and Second Chronicles, and 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 I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know, I love Bible histories. You know, blah blah blah. First nine chapters are genealogy. Oh no! Oh, you so want to talk about a to, challenge? You get those down to two to three minutes. That's it's funny. You're the second person this week that said that. No, we still did them in nine minutes. But I I do have to tell you, every day. God would give me this gym in these genealogies. And I'd be like, boom, passage broke open. 
it it was it was amazing because every day I would dread it going into it like, oh, this is going to suck, which you never want to have that that attitude towards the word of God, right? You you always kind of feel like it's God's word. There's a reason, and there is, and I would explain, there's a reason why there's nine chapters of genealogy. They went away in Exodus to Babylon. They've come back. It's the second Exodus. First thing they want to do is they want to check that all the, the, the lines are in place because the Messiah is coming through the line. They know now he's coming through the, the tribe of Judah, so they've got to check the records. They've got to get everything straight. They've got to recapture that part of the history because they've, they've got to reestablish whose father's who, and you know, so... Uh, all that there's a reason, but um, but I'm telling you, every every day was rad. So that that's what I'm doing now. So that's a bulk of my time now. And the other thing, so is, do they tell you how many books you're going to end up doing, or do you know? Yeah, we've mapped it all out. Yeah. So my next one's Jeremiah, which is my least known book of the Bible. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. it was the prophet I read the most of when I when I was younger as a believer, and I was reading the Bible a lot. Um, but and, and Are they going to do a version where it's like you're doing all of the books? So when I came on, I told them, I said, hey, I have this thing called Bible Ninja that I've got kind of on the back burner. <clears throat> I'm 47. My goal in my life goal is by the time I'm 50, because I crank on these, like I'm, I'm the fastest content producer um, with Through the Word right now. So, um, so that's why they brought me on you know, more is because they're saying, Hey, you know, we, we love to, to, and these are guys like I baptized Langham, you know, he took over Long Beach. If you guys don't know, um, you know, the, these, the, these are my tribe. This is my posse. But the reality is, um, yes. When I talked to him, I said, Hey, I want to, they're like, that's totally in our plans already. And we want to have multiple versions. So yes, I will have Bible Ninja eventually. So that'd be cool. Nice. Yeah, so head on over to throughtheword.org, and you can also, you just download the app, and you listen. And uh, all of my plans are not up. I think they're like six, seven plans books behind that they're engineering and putting up there, and I think like four or five of them are mine. So, because I did First and Second Kings right before I did First and Second Chronicles, so there was no repeat. (laughs) Nice. I actually did write fresh studies for each one because you would think first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles is going to cover the same stuff. It's not the history is not told the same way because they were written for two different purposes. And I go Mm. into that. So it it was fun, man. I I love this stuff, but once you've done first and second Chronicles, like I fell in love with first and second Chronicles, but once you've done it, um, you're like, yeah, I, I could do any book. Like this is nothing's hard after that. Nice. So, but sorry, it took so long on that. Uh, so back to me, um, went, went <laughs> shooting last night. It was fun. That's good. What's yeah. up in your life, Pete? Yeah, I just went shooting. That's <laughs> I it. saw that. I saw that. You said you could <laughs> never get enough training. And uh, might I say that all of your um, selfies that you're taking are generating quite the response, quite the tribe of admirers from young. Dude, I planners. have turned into uh, quite this. I was, it was funny this morning. I was thinking about it. I was like, now I get why all these people who work out do all these selfies. I'm like, yeah, they proud man. And yeah. rightfully so they worked yeah. hard and they, they reached a point and they're taking selfies. I would take non obvious selfies. Like I would still be vain about it, but I'd be like, Blur your head over there, you know, like I point a bunch, like sometimes I do that with my tattoo. I'll be doing an exponential and I'll be like, 
kind of show the tattoo. Oh, stretch over here, you know. You know, that's revealing my ink. tattoo. So you know, that's an ink markers. That's not a real tattoo. That's just an ink uh, marker. Sharpie. <laughs> so uh, I told Jamie. I by the I way, I don't actually do that. I told Jamie about your uh, your your advice on my my white arms, right? Because I've got the massive farmer's tan, right? I mean, I'm yeah. I'm a redhead by nature. I know it doesn't look that red anymore. Yeah. And, uh, but after 44 years of always wearing, you know, sleeves because <laughs> you burn. Yeah, man. And now I'm wearing tank tops when only when I work out, I don't wear them out in public. Yeah. And I got these really white arms and you're like, Oh, now you got an excuse to get tattoos. All yeah. I t- told Jamie that. And she's like, no, I'm like, dude, but come on. She's like, no. <laughs> Did I send you that picture of the dude in the supermarket? And he's like super, like he's, yeah. he's so roided out. And it says, this is how I picture myself when I'm future. And next to him, you know, in, in my future, uh, when I'm older. And then, and then uh, there's a dude next to him in a brown An shirt. An old guy. Says, yeah. And it says, except I don't really like brown as a color. I don't see myself wearing those shirts too often. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Meaning he wasn't the roided guy. He was the old skinny, <laughs> just normal. But you barely guy. notice that guy. Cause that other guy, it's like your eyes go straight to him. Yeah, he's, he's like a freaking monster. He's huge. a monster. Yeah. Yeah. I would think that's all that dude does is constantly go to the supermarket and work out. Cause he's like, I must feed, you know, warrior needs if food. If that guy badly. was real, probably. I mean, I guess, uh, Arnold back in the day, he would work out twice a day for three hours each time. Oh, wow. Yeah. He worked for that Mr. Olympia. I mean, yeah, he worked for that thing. Yeah. And he was uh, so freaking young when he was like 19, he had 19, like you could trace every year he'd gain an inch when he's 22, he had 22 inch biceps. Like it was insane. I wonder how much steroids he did because he's admitted to oh, doing he did steroids. Him. Oh, yeah. He did them for sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, they all do them. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. Almost everyone in professional sports does them. That's why they keep any, getting popped. Well, any, any, any bodybuilder back then, yeah. you, could not, you could not get the mass you needed to not compete. Not at all. Not even yeah. close because steroids will push you beyond what your genetic capabilities are. But of course, Joe Weeder being Joe Weeder was always like, do not take anabolic steroids. They're bad. And, you know, always, yeah, always follow. But take my powder. Buy my powder instead. Buy my you know? powder. Well, my it was funny because I was watching this interview with Ronnie Coleman. So Ronnie Coleman is known as the king because he won Olympia like, I don't know, seven or eight times. Um, and just he, he's like the biggest guy ever. I mean, he's just huge. And he had great symmetry and low body fat. I mean, just but he was a cop for years. And so like, there's all these videos, like I was watching this documentary of him and he had to have all of his uniforms specially tailored for him. Cause he was so big. He had like 24 inch arms or something. <laughs> so they had to make, you know, new uniforms and he's in Texas. Right. And, and all I was thinking was how in the world did he justify being a cop and still doing all these steroids? Yeah. Cause I'm like, I don't well, they get had it. to get tested, right? Well, I would imagine your drug. Yeah, but the thing was, and this is what I totally forgot. And so he was being interviewed on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, and so Joe Rogan started talking to him about it, and he goes, "Oh yeah, but you know, back then it wasn't illegal, so we just did it under a doctor's supervision, and he'd write us the prescription for it." And so he goes, "We had the DEA come in, and we want to know what you're taking," and I showed them all my doctor's prescriptions, and they're like, oh, "Okay." 
I'm like, mm. that's right. Cause it didn't become illegal until like late nineties wow. off of basically, you know, politicians trying to go, Oh, this is bad. This is going to ruin our kids. Blah, 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 blah. But yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know, I know, I know we're out of time now for smack talk and we got to get into the topic and our topic today was going to be the activities of apostolic planners. But, um, I wonder, should we quickly say something? And I, and I almost wonder if it turns into the topic, but, um, with the uh, court ruling yesterday, did you want to say anything about what that? What was the court ruling? With, um, Rihanna Taylor? Oh, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I, you can talk about it. I can give my own two cents on it. I didn't read enough up on it. I didn't either. I just remember when it happened. And I know right now people I greatly respect are pretty upset about it. I, I, I've been on pretty much a social media fast all day. Um, and then I'm on a political fast for 30 days. Um, so I don't, I moved everything off my, my iPhone home screen that had to do with um, anything that was just like, you know, stuff that chews up your brain, you know, and like it, it does nothing good. So on my homepage, I've got Audible, I've got Kindle, I've got Bible apps, I've got, and I'm only allowed from the time I get up to the time I go to bed, I'm only allowed or, you know, before I go to bed, I put the kids down. I have to cuddle Eden as she falls asleep. And that's my job every night. So when I put the kids down, I, then I'll put my headphones in and watch, catch up on, you know, anything on Facebook or whatever. Unless I'm posting something for ministry, it is different because I have, I have to do that with Exponential. But, um, but other than that, you know, uh, that's kind of my, my deal. So I'm not as informed as I could be, but I, my understanding is that, um, yeah, my understanding is that... <clears throat> My understanding is that they let the perpetrators, the the police off. Yeah. And this was the uh, grand jury, right? Yeah, I believe so. So that was part of the problem that I had um, because the problem with grand juries is you can get whatever verdict you want in a grand jury because they're not you literally stack the deck. That's why they say you can indict a ham sandwich because it's not difficult. You can just say literally whatever you want to say. There's no, well, here's the other side. It's all one-sided. So you can get whatever you want. And clearly they didn't want them to have to go to trial because if they wanted to get an indictment, absolutely they could have. Because what those guys did, it's so repugnant um, I mean, going into the wrong house, going and shooting, she's asleep in her bed, killing her. I mean, if they yeah. wanted to get an indictment and then let the court system take over, they could have gotten it. Right. And the yeah, fact for that me, they didn't even, the, the guy who actually killed her gets off, but then some other guy, because I guess he shot into several different apartments. He's got to go to trial now. Because his, he was, I mean. Not because he killed somebody, but because he endangered people in other apartments, which makes literally no sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and the whole thing to me is so corrupt because several weeks ago it came out that uh, the city offered the boyfriend who lived um, 
basically a reduced sentence, everything, if he would give up dirt on Brianna. Is that her name, Brianna or Brianna? Yeah, Brianna Taylor. Brianna Taylor. If he would give up dirt on her. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. She didn't do anything. Yeah. And so he wouldn't take the reduced sentence. So then what happens? Well, then largest settlement ever to her family. They paid $12 million. I mean, literally, this is how corrupt our government is. This is absolute corruption. They know they're going to have to pay. Hey, maybe we can, you know, give this guy over here a better deal. If he can give us some dirt, so then we don't got to pay. It's just corruption. This is sin. And why that dude's in jail at all? There was no reason. They were wrong. He was right to defend himself in his own home. Is that what he's in jail for? Was that he defended himself? he He shot at the cops. That's... And then they let the cops off. This is so wrong on so many levels. Well, that and that's why people, again, are taking up arms and, and, and upset. And um, there will be rioting. There will be protesting. Um, you know, and, you know, I, I find it interesting that we focus immediately on, well, that's wrong to write or that's wrong. Well, you know, I mean, I hate to to kind of be the student of church or, or, or of, of political history here, but things don't change unless there's usually violence. People forget that there was plenty of violence during the civil rights. It was not a peaceable movement entirely. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. kept calling for peace. He kept saying, if we don't peaceably demonstrate, they will not listen. But there was tons of rioting and violence. Right. And, and I do believe that to a certain degree, there is a certain amount. And I, I know I got heat for this months back. That's okay. I can take it. I'm just telling you how it works. I'm not telling you what's right. I'm not saying that um, I'm advocating violence. This is, this is what happens. You know, switch off your Fox News, switch off your MSNBC, stop falling into the same familiar <coughs> trenches. I'm not taking a side on the violence. Oh, uh, Pete, my um my inspector's here, my okay. house inspector. I have to go. I'll be um. It will take like ten minutes. I'm okay. so sorry, man. Okay, All right, we'll pause. All right. All right. Now that we're back, I don't even remember where we were. But. Oh, so I was just saying, you know, look, that's just the way it is in history, right? So even though everybody's decrying, the the fact of the matter is, occasionally oh, violence on behalf of the people puts the government in a place, and I would say a healthy place. Of fear. Government should be afraid of it. Well, the American Revolution was violence. Right. They didn't peacefully, I mean, they did peacefully protest. Uh, They did the Boston Tea Party. And then when they um, tried to start taking away their weapons, they're like, no, we're not going to let you do that. And the way things work, and again, people people are going to argue, oh, but that's not cool, you know, yada, yada. And the reality is, um, you. I think you need to be, I, I think. What would be better is if they directed the rage at the right people. Right. When you direct it at some small business owner who's, you know, spent his life savings building up the corner market, you know, immigrant, whatever. And it's like, you go and destroy his business. That doesn't, that doesn't further your cause. Right. But if you do, this is a problem with a mob. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even the French revolution was, I mean, that was violence gone wild, right? I mean, that, that was where they're just dragging rich people out of their homes and popping them up in front of a guillotine and chopping their heads off and taking all their stuff. 
So a mob rule is not a good rule and that's not what we want. There, but there's a balance. Historically, there's been a balance. There's a, there's a sense in which the powder keg can blow. So the government is always kind of tiptoeing to a certain degree. Um, there's a sense in which the government needs to, to be able to quell violence. But there's also a point at which the government, once all that happens, the government kind of backs up and goes, okay, that wasn't good, right? Like, we don't want that again, so we better take care of these issues, which is what happened in the civil rights. And, you know, I mean, you, you can read about historians that, that what they'll say is when they televised the march and the brutality was filmed, um, where not only black people were getting beat, but also white people were getting beat. Um, the, the fact that people watched that on television um, was one of the key factors to, to gain sympathy. And that's why uh, Martin Luther King Jr. would say, look, if you're violent, you'll be seen as a mobster or a terrorist. So you've got to peaceably protest so that when the cameras were rolling, and, and I'm not saying this wasn't motivated out of Christ-like theology. That is actually, it was partially Mahatma Gandhi, partially um, Jesus, but um, Martin Luther King Jr. was saying, look, I, I know that you want to, you have rage, you have anger, and I'm angry. He would say stuff like that, but he'd say, we won't win by anger. We will win through the sympathy because he was trying to change the heart of the nation. And that's mm-hmm. what he did. Well, we're in a place right now where we're not fighting for the heart of a nation. We're fighting against corruption. And it is slightly different. And, and again, I'm not arguing for violence. I know you guys are going to like, kind of take it that way and be like, oh, Peyton's, I'm just saying historically, this is how things change. And that's what's happening. I, I'm not happy with the violence. I'm not, I'm not at peace with watching absolute boneheads who have no jobs go and burn down buildings. I'm not happy with that at all. So let me just say that outright. Um, I think that's ridiculous. And I think the way that um, the political lines have fallen along these things that somehow the Democrats really care about this and the Republicans don't, the, the way that, that the media is telling the story is complete nonsense. Neither yep. side really cares. Um, you know, neither side is activate, you know, actively um, championing the cause of black, you know, people in America. Like they're just not, you know, and I, I, I know that's going to anger some of you because I just, uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I, we could go on all all day about that, but I think the important thing to talk about. Well, here's the thing. Think about what happened to Brianna Taylor. She's in bed, asleep, innocent. They go to the wrong house. The cops, nothing happens to them. The one cop that does get indicted, it's because he's shot into a bunch of different houses or you know apartments. Now imagine for a second, she was white. In right. bed with her white husband, and she gets shot. What do you think yeah. would happen then? Right. Well, first of all, we probably wouldn't even hear about it. But if we did, it would be utter outrage. Well, Bono said something kind of similar to that. You know, he was trying to raise all this money for the, the developing nations, and he's got the One campaign and the Red campaign. And he's been a huge social activist for years. And he's, you know, um, over the years, he's, he's been shocked that he went to the church, you know, um, like, like he wrote that song, I'm waiting for the crumbs from your table, quoting Jesus when Jesus says, you know, um, 
you know, it's not sacred to give uh, the children's food to the dog, or it's not right. right to give what is sacred to the dog. And the lady said, the Phoenician woman says, yes, but even the dogs eat the food, the crumbs that fall from the table. And Bono wrote this song to the church called Waiting for the Crumbs from Your Table. And it it is about the the church in the West's attitude towards Africa. And of course, he was the one that campaigned to cancel African debt. But he made this statement back then. This is this is what he would say to to politicians. He'd get on the phone with the Bush administration. He would he would talk to them about all the kids that had died. And one of the things that he said was, um, what what do you um he said 30,000 children died yesterday and 30,000 children will die today and 30,000 children will die from preventable causes like things like malaria or you know things that we can fix um dehydration um dysentery and he said and um but the, the, the difference is, he goes, can you imagine the media, the media's response to 30,000 white children dying? He said the one difference between them, even though it happens every day, the one difference is all you'd have to do is make one of those days, 30,000 white kids died today. And he goes, and the world would be up in arms about it. America would be up in arms. The difference is these are black children. These are brown children. They are not white children. Now, First time I heard that, my head split open. And I was like, holy crap. Like, he's right. How do you argue against that, right? 30,000 kids. My, my nephew, Tadis, um, teacher of the year in California for working with the at-risk youth and inner city kids, this was his response to Sandy Hook and all those kinds of things. He goes, look, I get Columbine. I get all that. I get that, that, that that's really hard. He goes, the problem is, he goes, that's been happening in my neighborhood oh, yeah. for totally. decades. He goes, but as soon, he goes, I'm, I'm not trying to be unsympathetic, but he said the second it happens to white kids, it becomes national news. Right. He goes, but this has been happening in black schools with black kids and black teenagers for years. Yeah. I know Sandy Hook's a little bit different, but anyway, school killings when it's white kids becomes a big deal. If it's in a black neighborhood, everyone goes, oh, you know, the Black people killing each other again, right? 30,000 black kids dying. Well, you know, those nations, you know. I mean, that right there just kind of shows you where people are at. And we we don't want to admit that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's uh, it exposes our bias, no doubt. It, it really does. Our bias. It really does. And, you know, kind of what I was hoping to do today um when we first went down this we, we ended up just talking about Breonna taylor and and some of the general principles but there is disparity there is a disproportionate sense of equality and equity in this country and what was that well while you were let, gone my my new printer came and <laughs> something fell <laughs> your printer's just sitting there minding its own business don't blame the printer <laughs> Oh, that protein powder. <laughs> Excuse me, which way to the gym? Never mind, I'll find it. So, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, I do think right now that, that one of the things that's really important for you as a leader is to shut your mouth. 
and to stop your fingers on social media and mourn with those who mourn. So almost right away yesterday, um, when this did happen last night, I, I checked my Twitter feed and um, again, I'm not as, as up on this as possible, but I watched people showing like the U-Haul vans with all the ready-made signs, ready to riot, ready to rumble um, in, in St. Louis, uh, you know, kind of, you know, we're, we're ready to go. It's go time, time to riot. And, you know, I, I watched leaders going, oh, see, I told you it was all uh, staged and blah, blah, blah. And I saw a, a, a planter that I know here in San Diego, he, he made the comment, he goes, can't you just like mourn for five minutes right now with the people that are hurting? And that's biblical, right? Like stop and mourn with the black community. Stop and stand with the black community. What does this keep doing to a people? Well, see, I, I would actually say, <laughs> and people- I know gonna, for you, it's not even a black issue. For well, you, That's it's the like, thing. Yeah, to me, you need to realize, Joe and Jane American- that this is an attack against you. Right. The fact that they were black is almost immaterial to the crime that happened. Right. The, the crime that happened was they knowingly went to the wrong house. Like it wasn't even the same street that they had a warrant for. And they go shooting in and a right. no knock warrant. And just, I mean, this can happen to you in your yeah. house. What would you do? Someone bursts into your house. You got, you know, family in there. Would you yeah. defend yourself? Yeah. They, they were 100% within their rights to stand their ground. Like that is, they were in the right to stand their ground and to fire no matter who was entering their house unlawfully. Right. Somebody was unlawfully. It didn't matter who they were. If they're unlawfully entering your house, you have a right to bear arms. It wasn't like... The founding it's a fathers were doctrine, like, which is in almost every state, yeah, even right. in freaking California, you have the right to defend your castle. The founding fathers said that you were allowed to bear arms against, primarily against this. This was what it was. So that if British soldiers tried to come and take your goods or enter your house or demand quarter, you were allowed to say no, and I can protect myself, sucker. No way. Yeah. So, so the idea, because it used to be a British, like a red coat would come and say, Hey, we need your house. His majesty needs your house. You're out and we're taking it. Um, or actually, you know what? You can stay and wait on us. You can clean our clothes. You can cook our food and you can build the fire and chop firewood for us. We're not going to do any of that. You're basically going to be our servants and we're going to use your house for as long as we need it. And that was, um, that was, that was connected to the second amendment. And so this whole thing at its very core strikes at the heart of what is not allowed to happen for an American citizen. So it boggles the mind. It literally boggles the mind to me. Um, to me, they were fully within their rights. And it, it had the opportunity of being an incident that would be a model to every police officer out there that, holy crap, we, we, cannot afford, we can't afford to make this kind of mistake. Oh, it was a mistake. You know, they, you can't afford that. If you're going to be a police officer and you're going to enter a home at night with your gun drawn, there is zero margin for mistake. And that's what should have come out of this. Sorry, we're getting political today, but um, I don't know. But it, I think to me, it, it speaks. And, and this is why on social media, there are two sides. You got, and it's typically the left that's, you know, defund the police. 
And then you got the right that's like, no, look, uh, officer, come to my house, put your feet up on my desk, uh, have a beer, you know, I'm going to take care of you, right? And they're like, total. And I'm like, look, guys, no, first of all, there is a medium here that we need to be looking at. Yeah. I personally believe we absolutely need the police. But at the same time, our current system is very corrupt. The, our training is completely backwards. And we have created an us versus them environment. <clears throat> right. And, and when I say us versus them, it's cops versus literally everyone else. And I don't right. care what color you are. And that is the way they see the world. And I know because I got plenty of cop friends. Like you just, you kind of only trust other cops. Right. And when a cop does something that's illegal, what do the other cops do? Well, it's, you know, we've got to protect our brother in blue. I mean, and they're not turning in each other. They won't turn in each other. Cause if they do the second they do that, they're now on the outs. Right. And it's like right. th the system is corrupt. I, I don't know how to fix it. I mean, I, I don't have a, you know, some advice for, Hey, this is how we fix this situation, but defunding the police isn't going to fix it. And at the same right. time, just pretending like there isn't a problem, isn't going to fix it. Right. No, absolutely. And I don't think there's always easy solutions like this is systemic. Um, it goes deep. And I don't mean just systemic racism. I mean, systemic issues with the police, systemic issues with politicians. Um, the fact that, that it, everything in this country gets politicized into a two party system is a problem. Yeah. Um, I would encourage you guys to read um, uh, Tim Keller's article about why Christianity can't fit into uh, a two-party system. Um, that was in New York Times. Um, you can go to my uh, Twitter handle, which is, I think, Ministry Ninja, at Ministry Ninja on Twitter. And you can see I retweeted it this morning. He's taken a ton of heat. And that's very telling that, uh, you know, for a nation that is so tempted to make the same mistakes that the apostles made, like, Lord, you know, they marry the kingdom of God to their political agenda. And that's happening. And people are like, this is a clear battle of good against evil. And, you know, I, I get that you're saying that, but let me tell you something. As soon as the, the Supreme Court changes, um, if you're Senate, if you're Congress, if you're president or all conservative, mark my words, they're not overturning Roe v. Wade. Well, we've already had that and they didn't overturn it. We it's have not had going it to happen. repeatedly. We've had it twice since Roe v. Wade and it's never turned over. And, and Dan, Dan and I talked about this on our podcast and he brought up a good point. He goes, yeah, well, part of the reason why they're not going to overturn it is they need to have that because that's what gets people to vote for them. Right. So if all of a sudden they overturn it, well, then, okay, my, my drum that I beat all the time has been handled. So do if I they were to going to, they would have already. Yeah. And here, here's the thing is I'm not um, a Democrat by any means and I'm not a Republican. Um, I'm an independent from having lived in Europe for many, many years, and a two-party system to me is a fallacy. So here's here's the problem. Um, when you uh, look at the Democrats, though, abortions go down during their terms. Um, the reason why is that whereas the Republicans see that, hey, we're going to make it illegal, and that becomes their focus, um, even though they don't do that. Um, during uh, the, the Democrats, while they're in office, their agenda is let's make it unnecessary, right? And that's where they do contraception, they do education and all that. And, and that works better 
than mandating that it cannot happen. They, it, every single time that a Democrat is in office, it goes down. And that What's is- funny is, is uh, Dan brought up a good point. He goes, you know, libertarians, a lot of them are for abortion because they believe in personal choice, even though they don't see the other side of that. Right. He goes, one of the benefits, he goes, if we voted in a libertarian president, is they are so anti-government funding things that might actually get abortion stopped, even though they might actually be for it because they might be like, yeah, but we're going to stop funding it. Right. And And, I think, and this is the thing is this is why I'm saying these are complex issues and maybe the solution, this is what Tim Keller points out. Tim Keller points out, maybe the solution isn't what you've been led to believe. For example, abortion, um, the, the biggest way people that are on the front lines that work in that, um, anti-abortion have come to realize it's not picketing, it's not lobbying politicians, because they're always disappointed with the lack of action that politicians actually take. They talk, they don't do, right? But what, what people say is if you humanize it, if you humanize it, you show people the fetus, the embryo, it's mm-hmm. got to be one uh, on the same level that the gospel works on. That is the individual human heart. Um, you're not going to legislate um, abortion out. You're not like someone brought up. You're not going to legislate murder out. You're just not going to do. Well, it. and I also think we have to spend more time figuring out and then actually helping the mother. Yes, because it's like okay, you save the kid. Let's just say, but we're then going to abandon this family now, right? Well, and, and here's the thing: is under Obama. I mean, and again, I'm not a Democrat. I know so many of you, you're red-blooded Americans and you're like, you know, wearing the MAGA hat and you're like, you're mad because I'm going to say anything good about a Democrat. But I personally benefited when Obama was in office from the adoption tax credit. What do you think happened when Trump got in office? That went away. It was gone. No adoption tax credit. If, if I adopted my child and, and here's what I'm saying is sometimes the policies for those that may say, we're not going to make it illegal. They actually put things in place that make it unnecessary. And so Obama's adoption tax credit meant that there was an upsurge in abortion. Think back to all the families you knew uh, three, four, before three or four years ago that were adopting. Do you remember that? I knew almost every family I knew, Christian family, every Christian leader was adopting a child. Almost every leader that I know and have worked with, almost every single one has a child from, uh, of another color in their family. That's mm-hmm. interesting to me. Interesting. So, yeah. So, and I'm not saying they did it because of taxes, but there was a surge during that time. And, and, and what I would say, guys, is these things, we, we need to think through them. And so as you're, what, what I'm kind of getting to here is avoid the, the two-party system trap that, because I know right now your church is trying. I, I just had to have a talk with a leader that I love and respect very much um, at one of the churches I planted. And I had to say, hey, I, you know, I, I think if you can't not post these things, you might you might want to just pray about seven. And we had a great talk. Like, he's not a bad, he's a really cool guy. And he agreed at a certain point. He's like, I've tried to stop. I can't stop. And, um, you know, I'll step down, you know, from leadership just because I know that 
um, if I can't focus on the gospel and he's convinced we're in a war, he's convinced this is like, you know, the spirit of darkness against the, the, the you know, the God of light. He's convinced that he's called out. And I was like, Hey man, if you are, you know, I would agree with that. Only I don't think either side is the spirit of light. Of course. <laughs> I of course. We got darkness and darkness against a little tiny little light over but, here. But we've got to remember that, that they kept pressing Jesus. Come on, Jesus. I mean, if you had Jesus right here today, you'd be like Jesus for president, right? You, you'd be like, come on, Lord. They kept going, Lord, bring your kingdom now. Even after he raises from the dead, they're like, Lord, is now the time you're going to bring your kingdom in? And he's like, no, it's not. Um, so, you know, here's the thing, um, real quick. I still remember we had Coleman luck on the show years ago and he wrote a book, the curse of conservatism. And one of the lines in the book is something along this. He says, um, 2000 years ago, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this earth for 2000 years. His believers have been trying to prove him wrong. And I'm like, amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. And that's the thing, guys, is, is if, if you're going to um, uh, reach the community around you, um, particularly if you're, you know, I was just talking with a guy named Terrence Brooks last night. Um, he, he's merging with uh, Refuge Long Beach. He's a black leader, amazing dude, church plan in Long Beach. Um, he's going to be uh, merging with, with Refuge and Chris and um, what's amazing, I was, I was telling him, uh, yeah, back in the early days, you know, we, um, I told everybody, as soon as you cross that orange curtain, which was the, the line, the county line between Huntington Beach and Long Beach, I was like, as soon as you cross that, whatever you were before, you're not anymore. So if you're a Republican or Democrat, none of that matters anymore. That all gets left behind to all things. I, I became all things to all men. You are no longer going to fight with the weapons of, you know, human weapons, weapons of, you know, like, like Paul said, he goes, there's carnal weapons. And I think people are trying to fight a spiritual battle. I told that gentleman, um, you know, that, that I was referring to, I said, you know, if you, if you do feel you're caught up in a spiritual battle and you see it playing out, um, through politics, I said, you know, you have one vote to cast and your social media is not convincing anyone. I would encourage you to give yourself to prayer, become a prayer warrior during this time. If you're convinced of that, but I would, I would definitely leave it off your social social media because there there is no you're not going to change anybody's mind on social media and what people need to see and what the world as i look at social media i watch people bringing up the disparity that they see between christians and their political ideology and they're the world is calling us out the world is saying and you remember that on the isle of crete paul said this is what they say about you cretians and, you know, that you're, you're evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And Paul says, and this is true. <laughs> like Paul actually agrees with their critics and says, this is, and this saying is true. He's not saying this saying, like what they're saying, this is, you know, the fact they're saying it is true. Paul says, what they're saying is right. You are, and that needs to change. And so for me, I would love it if, the church was not such an easy target of manipulation. I would love it if both parties feared the Christians in a healthy way mm. and said, you know what? These Christians, man, they, they won't let each one, of, either one of us, they're like John the Baptist, dude. Like when, when they speak out, it's prophetic and they, they they're kind of scary. The stuff that they're saying it makes us listen. And then the world, I think would be able to respect a little bit more that these guys are on the right side of things. 
Because I, I do believe, and we've said this before, I believe that the kingdom of God always outpaces the church. I believe this call for biblical justice, all these things. If you go back and read the Old Testament prophet, these things are in there. And biblical justice is um, very much an Old Testament and New Testament theme. Um, our whole faith is based on justice. So we can't turn a blind eye to it, you know? Yeah. It's just that Christ met the demands of justice at the cross. So, hey, we'll leave it there. <clears throat> Real quick, I told uh, the guys over at Exponential that I would give a plug for one of the projects that we're on right now. They're, they're not giving us money for this, Pete. They just, you know, I'm just doing it because I'm, I'm wearing a hat for them right now. And it, But it is something along these lines I think you should definitely check out. Number one, we've got a show called Candy Conversations. It runs on Thursdays. We're interviewing amazing people. Like there's a, a woman that's going to appear in two weeks, Melinda Joy Mingo. Uh, her brother and father were, were shot and killed by police when she was young. And she'll tell you straight up. She's like, I was a racist, right? She's a black lady. She's like, I hated white people and especially cops. And she said that the gospel transformed her heart, overcame her racism and prejudice. And, you know, if anyone's going to be a racist, you, you can kind of understand that, right? Like I haven't had my family members shot and killed by police. But, um, but if you go to multiplication.org, you can register for that. And if you add a forward slash roundtables, you can sign up to one of 100 roundtables that's going to be all over America um, with 100 people each. Um, it'll be a half-day experience. Um, it, it'll be pretty cool and it's going to be on diversity issues like Pete and I have been talking about today. So be sure to head on over to multiplication.org forward slash roundtable sign up. It's $29 uh, to the end of this month. So you got a couple days from this podcast to still sign up, attend one near you. And these are epic. I, I honestly believe that um, history will look back at this, what's going on, and um, we'll actually talk. I think exponential has prob and the SBC with JD Greer coming out and, and making some bold statements and taking some bold stances on behalf of the Southern Baptists. I believe that it will look back and say that things started to change here. So the purpose of these is to get you to be able to address these things in a healthy biblical way with your congregation. Um, you'll be meeting with black leaders, brown leaders, Asian leaders, um, and they will be speaking into this. So that's that's that. While you're doing all this stuff with Exponential and Through the Word, how do you have time to take care of church finances, IRS compliancy, and uh, payroll taxes, and all that stuff? Well, Pete, the only way I can attend a roundtable such as this is if I know that while I'm there, I've got someone back home working on my tax compliancy needs, my IRS compliancy needs, my bookkeeping, my payroll, um, helping me budget, dealing with my offerings, and keeping track of all that, donor receipts. And you know who does that for me, Pete? Uh, who would that be? Simplifychurch.com. Wait, who was that? That's right, Pete. You heard me. Simplifychurch.com. That's wow. simplifychurch.com. <laughs> I love it. Like spelling out the C-O-M? I do. That's I do. new. I made that. Hey, so guys, thanks for joining us today. This has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell. One day we'll get back to talking about Church Planner, but hopefully we just made y'all mad. Remember, that's Pete at churchplannermagazine.com. Uh, or is it? Is that right? I got I have no It's idea. not even right anymore. Don't worry. It goes straight into the, the trash. We don't even hear it. But if you do want to catch us on social media and tell us what buttheads we are, you can do that, but we'll probably ignore you there too. So thanks for joining us today. We've been talking about all kinds of stuff today, unplanned, 
But uh, if you want to reach the ones that nobody's been reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Thank you.